When you're in the market for a new car, you want a vehicle that conquers your daily commute, easily handles the elements, and looks great too. You need the reliability of a Toyota and the confidence that your investment will last. Why? Because after all the carpools, shopping trips, and weekends out, you want a car that still has plenty of miles left in it and holds its value for a great trade-in deal. That's where Toyota leads the pack as the number one resale value brand for 2024, according to Kelly Blue Book's KBB.com. So check out the all-new, fully redesigned 2025 Camry or test drive a stylish and affordable Corolla sedan or hatchback. And remember, when you choose Toyota, you're not just buying a car for today, you're investing in trade-in value for tomorrow. Visit buyatoyota.com, the official website for deals, for more. Vehicles projected resale value is specific to the 2024 model year. For more information, visit kellybluebookskbb.com. Kelly Blue Book is a registered trademark of Kelly Blue Book Company, Incorporated. Toyota, let's go places. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello and welcome to Happier, a podcast that gives you strategies and ideas about how to build happier habits into your everyday life. So this week, we'll talk about making the positive arguments, and are you a simplicity lover or an abundance lover? I'm Gretchen Rubin, a writer who studies happiness, good habits, and human nature. I live in New York City, and talking with me is my sister, the sage, Elizabeth Kraft, and I'm going to use my intro to plug Gretchen's new book about habits, Better Than Before, which I guarantee will make you change your life. Oh, what a nice sister. Buy it. <laughs> Let's have an update on updates. If you remember in episode two, we talk about the idea of updates, which was an idea my mother had, our mother. And we've been getting a ton of emails about it and tweets about it and voicemails about it. So you want to discuss? Yeah. It, the idea of updates is my, my mother had this insight that when you know what a lot about what's going on in someone's life, you have a lot to say. But when you rarely see someone, you just say, what's going on? Oh, nothing. What's new with you? Oh, nothing. Um, and so we decided that we would all do these family updates every few days when we would just give each other updates. And a lot of people have written to ask, like, exactly how do you do it? Like, how exactly uh, do you structure it? And what exactly do you include? And do people answer? And what's the exact frequency? Yeah. And, you know, our only rule is that it's okay to be boring. That's our motto. Um, we do it very loosely, just kind of every couple days. And you just sort of throw in anything you want. Sometimes it's long, sometimes it's short. And we almost never answer each other, which is such a relief. So it's just fun to see it, but you don't feel any pressure to actually respond. Yeah. And I would say if you're a bigger family and you have a few people in the family who are lazy about responding, don't nag them about it. Just let them not respond. And whoever 
you know, is into it, can do it. And I guarantee those people still like getting those updates. And I and I, we've heard from a lot of people saying that they were really intrigued with it. And so let us know if it works for you, because this idea of update seems to be something that's catching people's fancy. Absolutely. Okay, Elizabeth, let's start with a suggestion that you can try at home. And this week, our try this at home tip is to make the positive argument. What does that mean exactly? I sort of know what you mean, and I sort of don't. Well, so there's this funny thing about the way our minds work. You could kind of call it the phenomenon of argumentative reasoning. And it's when we decide that we want to argue some thesis to ourselves, some proposition. We're really good at marshalling arguments. Like We're really good at advocates. But the funny thing is, is that if you were to argue the opposite to yourself, you would be just as effective. Ah. And I use this idea of make the positive argument when I find myself like making almost like accusations. Like, I'm not, I never, I'm not getting enough work done. So if I think, oh, I'm not getting enough work done, then I think of all the reasons why I'm not getting enough work done. But then if I say to myself, wait a minute, I'm getting a lot of work done, then I can feel all these new examples crowding into my head. It's almost uncanny how it works. Like, And I often do this when I'm feeling resentful of my husband or something. So I think right. to myself, oh, Jamie never helps us get ready for trips. And then I think, wait, I just try to make the argument, Jamie does help us get ready for trips. And then I, I think of all these examples then when I'm making that argument things he has done to get ready that you just don't consciously think about. Right. Because if you argue one thing, you're full of examples and you think, oh, I objectively arrived at this conclusion. Oh, look at this. I have all these points on my side that prove that I'm correct. But then if you just flip it over and try to argue the other side, you can come up with just as many arguments that way. Yeah. I find myself using this with telling myself, I'll often tell myself, oh, I'm such a bad mother because of this, that, and the other thing. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. But then if I think, well, how am I a good mother? Oh, well, I drove around, you know, for hours <laughs> getting the right party favors for the gift bag because I knew Jack cared about having Darth Vader Pez. Uh, you know, then I go, well, I'm not such a bad mother. So I, I totally get what you're saying. It's like, how much of my disposable income have I dedicated to Star Wars? <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Can't even think about that. <laughs> And then, you know, another good place to apply this is at work, because I think it's easy to think that people you're working with aren't doing enough. But, you know, if you stop and think like a writer's room is a perfect example of a place where everyone thinks that they're contributing the most. Yeah. So if you think, well, they're, you know, especially if you're the boss and you think, well, people aren't doing what they should be doing. But then if you stop and think, oh, well, so-and-so had this great idea and so-and-so rewrote this scene and so-and-so took notes that were really helpful, you could start seeing that, oh, actually, people are doing a lot. It's just that I'm stressed and tired and I'm not seeing what they contribute. And I think that can make a huge difference in the workplace of, how, of that sort of tension that can arise in stressful situations. Well, and actually, there's a term for that, which is called unconscious overclaiming, which is a phrase I love, unconscious That's overclaiming, great. which is when unconsciously you overestimate your contribution to a group effort. So, and it's hilarious, like they did a study of husbands and wives, and when they added up how much they contributed to housework, it added up to 120%. And then they did it with business school students that were working on a team project, and it added up to 139%. Wow. Um, and so it's exactly what you're saying. People overestimate. And also the thing is, is like in your examples, people value, they tend to, you tend to value what you do, and you do what you value. And so if you think it's really important that people, t that there's good notes, 
and you take good notes where you think, well, that's really, that's really valuable. Or if you think, oh, it's really important to have these moments of humor and I added that, well, I think I'm going to give that more weight because that's what I value. And I see that, I see that with J- my husband, Jamie, because like he thinks air conditioning is really important. So he'll do a <laughs> lot of work to get the air conditioning fixed. I think holiday cards are important. So I do a lot for the holiday cards. You know, so we both are like, well, look what, I, you know, oh my gosh, I'm going to these elaborate lengths for the team. Um, but like, I don't really care that much about air conditioning, you know, any <laughs> so, right. yeah, so neither do I. Uh, but so the key is to make the positive argument argument, both in terms of not being too hard on yourself and make the positive argument in terms of not being too hard on the people around you. Yeah. If you feel yourself feeling resentful or, or coming down too hard on yourself, making the positive argument is a good way to counterbalance that um, in your head. Uh, So let us know if you do try this at home and if making the positive argument works for you. You can send me a tweet at Gretchen Rubin to Elizabeth at Elizabeth Craft, and that's Craft with a C. Connect with us on the Gretchen Rubin Facebook page or drop us an email at podcast at GretchenRubin.com. Or each week I put a uh, blog post on my blog that goes with each episode um, where I put links and photos and all that kind of thing. So if you want to comment, you can comment on uh, GretchenRubin.com. And don't worry if you forgot everything we just said or didn't write it down because it's included in the description of the podcast. So you could just look for it there. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. I now work with a team, and I am here to say that finding the right candidate and hiring the right candidate is one of the very biggest and most important challenges to anyone who has a small business. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash Gretchen. That's linkedin.com slash Gretchen to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. And Alyssa, here's a question to help you know yourself better. Are you a simplicity lover or an abundance lover? Well, I think I get the concept of both of those, but why don't you sort of expand a bit and explain? Um, well, this is something I started to understand when I was working in, in my book, Better Than Before, on the strategy of distinctions, which is all about understanding how you might be the same as other people, but you also might be different from other people. And so different circumstances might suit you better. Yeah. And one of the very uh, pronounced distinctions among people is simplicity lovers and abundance lovers. So simplicity lovers are very attracted by the idea of less of emptiness, of bare surfaces, of empty shelves. Like I have my empty shelf that I love. Uh, Fewer choices. Um, You are a simplicity lover extraordinaire. Yes, I am. Like I get overwhelmed if there's there's too much stuff or too many choices or, or like, yeah, I like simplicity. But then there's abundance lover and they like more. They like overflow. They like choices. They like, you know, a full pantry. Um, They like to have more than enough. They often enjoy collecting things. You know, they're the ones that want to have like five different kinds of toothpaste, you know, because yeah. they're like, I want to just like, why not have a choice? Uh, so what do you think you are? Are you an abundance lover or a simplicity lover? 
I think I'm an abundance lover, but within reason. I mean, I don't need five kinds of toothpaste, but I like having a lot of different shoes in my closet. Yeah. Even if I'm not going to wear them, I simply enjoy having them to look at. See, that's interesting because to me, it kind of stresses me out. But you do like, you like just seeing that you get a satisfaction just from seeing that they're there and having kind of that range. Yeah, even though the funny thing is, I mean, I wear basically every single day, I wear sweats <laughs> or jeans and a hoodie and a t shirt. Um, yes, you do. Believe me, my husband would like me to throw out all, I have about 12 or 15 hoodies. Here's the thing. You're actually wearing jeans, though, and I'm wearing yoga pants. So at least you're actually yeah. wearing Well, clothes. I wear sweats, too. But I like having nice clothes in the closet that I could wear. It makes me feel a little bit more luxurious to have some things. It's like I say, I like having things in tissue paper because it feels luxurious to me. But at the same time, it's not like I want to fill my house with tchotchkes. You know, some people like to have a hundred figurines. Right. You know, but I but I think I remember you saying that you wanted like another set of china. Like to me, I would never I like why would you have more? It bothers me that we have, you know, what we have. I wouldn't want to yes. get it. But, you, but to you that you're like, that would be nice. Yes. Even though, for instance, I don't even use China. <laughs> I, I like the idea, you know, like I'm getting a new job. And I think, oh, I think for my job, I'm going to buy myself, a, you know, a few mugs in this China because I like the idea of expanding my China collection. There's just a feeling. I mean, I think it is the abundance feeling. It makes you feel safe and like you have everything you need and you don't want for anything. Um, whereas if it's too pared back for me, it just feels a little bit too sparse and, you know, as if things are lacking. Well, and this is what's interesting because somebody emailed me and, and I thought that this, because a lot of times simplicity lovers and abundance lovers tell each other they're doing it wrong. Like simplicity lovers are like, get rid of everything. And, um, abundance lovers are like, you know, we need to spruce this place up. Um, and, and this, this abundance lover emailed me and said, like, if I see a lot of empty surfaces and empty shelves, it makes me almost panicky because I feel like it has to be populated. Like it requires, it, like it needs action from me to kind of design it and fill it and, and make decisions about what it's going to be. So like you say, it's for them, it's almost stressful when it's too, or, you know, or you feel like you're too close to the edge of running out of things. And so, so again, it's not that there's one way that's right or wrong. A lot of times we want to tell each other that we need to change or that we're doing it wrong, but it's right. what, what circumstance makes you feel at peace and energized. I feel really energized when I get rid of stuff, but I know that like other people don't feel that way. And so really it's about with this, know yourself better. It's almost better to think about, well, what are the people around you so that you're not all just constantly in conflict with one another. And if you like simplicity and someone else likes abundance, just let it be and quit arguing about it. And if it's your spouse, well, then good luck. Yeah, yeah. No, but then make sure you have separate clauses. No, but you're exactly right. Because if people constantly have conflict or like with my daughter, Eleanor, um, it's like she clearly loves abundance and she she covers every surface and I want to go through there and just like put everything away. But if I do that, like when she's away at school or her back is turned for five minutes, she immediately puts everything out again. To her, it's not messy. Everything is very carefully arranged and it's just it's just uh, it's just a matter of a different preference. So yeah, it's it's you're exactly right. It's it's about finding harmony with the people around you rather than like deciding that you have to commit to one uh, to one approach. One way to reach us is to leave a voicemail question for me and Elizabeth at 
277-9336, or easier to remember, 77-HAPPY-336. And Gretchen, today we have a voicemail question uh, from Jessica in Nassau County, New York. Hi, Gretchen. Hi, Elizabeth. Um, I would like to know, why is it so hard to do things that make you happy sometimes? Like, I can come home from work and... I, I want to read a book. I have intentions to read a book all day, but I'll come home and I, I won't read the book. I'll do everything. But do you know why this is? I know it'll make me happy, but sometimes I just can't. Well, it's funny, Gretch, because I could have I could have asked this exact same question down to it being about reading a book. I feel like I'll have a book <laughs> I'm dying to read and all day I'm just going to, oh, I'm going to get on the couch after Jack goes to bed and just read my book for three hours and then I don't. Right. So what, yeah, what is that? Okay. So uh, it could be a couple of different things, but this is what I think that it is. And this is related to the four tendencies, which, again, is another thing that I, I came up with about around my book, Better Than Before, um, about habits. And the four tendencies has to do with the way a person responds to an expectation, outer expectations like a work deadline or inner expectations like reading a book for fun. And this takes a second to go through, but I'll uh, hang in there. And, and a person who, who wants to read up on this, there's a quiz on my site, GretchenRubin.com, if people want to take a quiz to find out which of the four tendencies they belong to. But a lot of people can just tell in a flash. So in a polder tendency are people who readily meet outer and inner expectations. So they keep a work deadline. They read that book without much fuss. Then questioners question all expectations. They'll do something if they think it makes sense. So in a way, they make everything an inner expectation because they'll do it only if they think that it's sensible. They hate anything unfair or arbitrary or unjust. Then obligers, and I think this is what the Jessica is, um, are they readily meet outer expectations, but they struggle to meet inner expectations. Um, and I'm going to come back to that. And then rebels resist all expectations, outer and inner alike. They want to do what they want to do. Well, it turns out that the obliger tendency is the biggest tendency. Most This is the one that most people belong to. And this is something that they will often say. Like, I, like during work or other people have these things they want me to do and I have no trouble getting them done. But when it comes to doing something that I just want to do for myself, meeting my own inner expectation for myself, I really struggle to do it. And Elizabeth, you're an obliger, and you had this exact experience with reading, you said. Yeah, I have it with reading. Yeah, I mean, I am the person where if it were a homework assignment, I mean, it would have been read yesterday. I, I hate having it hang over my head. But if it's for myself, it's harder. And I, I can think of this in terms of cooking. You know, I've been saying for years that I want to cook. You have been saying that for I a year. I mean, it, no, I've quit even saying it to anyone because it's embarrassing at this point. But of course, what I, all I probably need is a cooking class or, you know, some other thing where I have to do it. And I would love to be like you and be an upholder because you're the ultimate upholder. You do everything people want you to do and that you want to do yourself. Well, here's the thing. I mean, but but you put your finger on it when you said, like, take a class or whatever, because the key element for obligers is to create some kind of system of external accountability. And once there's external accountability, then they have no trouble meeting that expectation. So, for instance, what could you do? What could Jessica do to read a book? Join a book club where you're really expected to read the book. By the way, she could even probably, if it's just some specific book she wants to read herself, is tell her office mate, hey, I'm going to read this book tonight and let you know if it's good. Yes, and then she would probably read it just because somebody was 
in her mind waiting to hear how the book was. Absolutely. Or she could, if she had a family or like like a little kid, often obligers can do something if they feel a duty to be a role model for others. So you could say some, you could say to yourself something like, well, I'm going to sit down and read on the couch because I want my children to see that reading is a valuable thing and I want to model that behavior for them. Great idea. This is the thing about obligers. It's all about that external accountability. And obligers are so ingenious at thinking of ways to build that in. And so instead of just trying to change your sort of your attitude and make yourself decide or want to read the book more just figure out plug in some kind of system of external accountability and it works and one thing people can do is sometimes it's helpful to be in a group of, because a group gives you that kind of external accountability and on my site gretchenrubin.com there's a starter kit if you want to start a group for people who are going to hold each other accountable and it could be for anything you want you know it could be for any kind of habit or any kind of behavior it's just like just knowing that someone is going to be holding you accountable then allows you to follow through with that behavior. Yeah, I mean, I have a friend who's got an accountability partner and what she's answering to is, you know, did she uh, get a massage, (laughs) you know, buy a new outfit because she has trouble doing anything, you know, for herself. You can have an accountability partner for anything from exercise to, uh, you know, a date night. I mean, it might sound silly, to hold yourself externally accountable for something like having a massage, but it's actually very wise because for an obliger, that's really, really hard to do. They need that external accountability. So you just plug it in and then you're fine. There are some stories about our father's life that I truly never get tired of hearing from hilarious to heartfelt, tear jerking to plot twisting. His retelling of the events always brings me joy. Just in time for Father's Day, I found the perfect gift that captures all his stories for our family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your father or father figure's life for years to come. And Gretch, you get a book of all these stories. And I love just keeping a book on the coffee table and anyone from any generation can see a story from dad, like what was his favorite toy or what was his first job? Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. Give all the fathers in your life a unique, heartfelt gift you'll all cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to StoryWorth.com happier. That's StoryWorth.com happier to save $10 on your first purchase. Okay, Gretch, it's my turn this week for a happiness demerit. And this was one that I think everyone is going to relate to. Uh, uh, and it has to do with sunscreen. Uh, okay. Say no more. Uh, yeah, I'm, right. I'm in. I'm in. Um, Demerit. It's, we all, well, look, I live in LA. So sunscreen is really important when you live in LA. And especially now that we have no winter at all. Uh, and what I find is I am constantly under applying sunscreen both to myself and my son. Yeah. And it's not that I don't care about it because I do, but I'll have this internal debate going on. Like, should I put on sunscreen? Is it not necessary to have sunscreen? Well, it's cloudy. Can you really get burned through the clouds? You know, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, recently we were on vacation and I didn't put enough sunscreen, I didn't reapply Jack's sunscreen. And then I spent hours worried that he had gotten a burn. (laughs) And then, you know, and it's just, why didn't I just put on the sunscreen every single time and reapply when necessary? 
uh, because I spend so much time feeling guilty about not having applied enough sunscreen. It's just ridiculous. Well, part of it is it's just kind of it's sticky. It's a pain. If you're doing it to a little kid, they're like squirming. If you're doing it to yourself, I just don't like the feeling of sunscreen. I know. I mean, I wish if anybody's got any good ideas for like excellent sunscreen, because maybe there's some kind of magical product that makes it easier to put on. But it's just it's just uh, yeah, but you're right. I mean, it's it's easier. It's less draining to just do it than to not do it and let yourself off the hook and then fuss about it. Yeah. And then if you think about it, like the long, long term, it's so important that it's worth just doing it now and not feeling guilty about it. So I, so, you know, my goal is to, from here on out, just put on sunscreen myself and anyone else who needs it, (laughs) you know, when necessary and, and quit thinking about it all the time. As a redhead, I kind of just stay in the shade as much as possible for yeah. myself. <laughs> that's, that's, well, we all know what happened in your youth when yeah. you were still oh. trying to get a tan. Yeah. And that is something no one should see. Yes, I learned the hard way. That it's, you uh, did. Yeah. yeah um, that's... Anyway, so that's it for sunscreen. Tell us, your, what's your gold star, Brett? Well, I want to give a gold star to this government program. It's in the United States, but I think other countries have similar programs um, that speeds you through security. I, I ah. hate security lines. And I heard about this thing, TSA PreCheck, which is it's very confusing, the nomenclature here, because it's, I, think, I think, if I understand it correctly, the domestic program is called TSA PreCheck, and the international program is called Global Entry. But then they ask you for your known traveler ID. Anyway, I'm not 100% sure that I have the wording correct, which drives me crazy, by the way. But um, this is this program, and it is a pain, because you have to go in and have your fingerprints done and be examined. And, but it's, very, it's a very cursory appointment, but you do have to show up in person. And, and in some cities, that's harder than others. I'm lucky. I live in New York City. So for us, I didn't even have to go out to the airport. I think in a lot of cities, you go to the airport. But in New York City, I could do it just like a, in, in the city on a short trip on the subway. But it's one of these things where for a little bit of effort that you plan in advance and can kind of organize in your day, then you buy, you just get gigantic gigantic benefits. So what is the pre-check? What, what, what is the upshot? So in most airports now, or major airports, there's a special line. So you don't, when you go through security, the line is much shorter. You don't have to take off your shoes. You don't have to take off a light jacket. Ah. You don't have to take your laptop out, which is huge for me because as you remember, I had that searing traumatic experience where oh. I left my laptop behind in a security bin as I was going through security. Oh. And, uh, and it was a miracle. My I, stomach gets in I know. I got it back. It was amazing, but it was white. It was in a white bin. I just walked right away from it. So anyway, so now I'm very paranoid about leaving something. I get very flustered in those lines. Like I want to be so fast. And, I do too. You know, am I going to leave my ID behind? And where's my boarding pass and all that? So TSA PreCheck just makes you just zip on through, and then. Uh, because I've been on my book tour and I came in through internationally, it's just this very short line where it's kind of a self-serve kiosk where you can go through. And there's just nothing as deeply satisfying and gives you such a feeling of gloating as just zipping through a line like that. And so I really urge people to take do a little bit of research to see if in their city it's something that they can do. Because it's one of those things where for a little bit of inconvenience one day, you could save yourself a massive amount of inconvenience down the down the line. I could honestly say that if you had if I had the global entry, I would be more likely to go to Europe than I am now. Because 
the airport is such a hassle. Well, you just stand you stand in one line for three hours one time, and that's like for the rest of your life. That's what you th- that's what you're expecting. That's the negativity bias that we're very much more influenced by negative events than by positive events, and they stick in our memory better. So you have one negative event like that, and you're right. It just sort of makes you feel like uh, it's going to be a huge pain every single time, even if that's not true. Even if it was just one time, that one really inconvenient. It sort of dominates your imagination. Yeah, I'm going to turn this gold star into a try this at home for myself. Oh, good. No, do it. You'll be so glad. I've been telling everybody to do it because it really is. It's it's completely worth the effort. TSA PreCheck Global Entry. Give it a shot. And that's it for this episode of Happier. Remember to try this at home. Make the positive argument. Let us know if you tried it and if it worked for you. Thank you to our producer, Henry Malofsky. And as always, thanks to Andy Bowers and Laura Mayer from Panoply. And as Gretchen mentioned, each week on her blog, GretchenRubin.com, there's a post that recaps what's in the episode. So be sure to check it out and comment there. And also, our friends at iTunes have created a one-stop page where you can subscribe to this podcast and find e-versions of all my books. One of those books, Better Than Before, is out now and comes highly recommended from myself. (laughs) Thank you, Elizabeth, for that plug. Um, And so that's easy to remember. It's iTunes.com slash Gretchen Rubin. And they also said some uh, some unbelievably nice things about my work there, uh, which I very much appreciate. Um, And of course, you can also subscribe to this podcast in Stitcher or any other podcast app by visiting panoply.fm. Until next week, I'm Elizabeth Kraft. And I'm Gretchen Rubin. Thanks for joining us. Onward and Upward. This podcast is part of the Panoply Network. Check out our entire roster of podcasts at itunes.com slash panoply.